Good morning again. Today's gospel reading comes from Luke, the fifth chapter, verses 27 through 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick? I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Andy for being here for all three services this morning. We appreciate you leading us in prayer and scripture reading. Um, as Pastor Emily said, um, Andy is a member of Governing Board. He's a leader with our youth ministry. He's also active in our micro church and fresh expression network. And today, as we continue in our neighboring series and, and reminding ourselves who we are for, who God is for, we're talking about being for um, micro churches being for organic expressions, being for our neighbor. What does that look like? Now, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., in a sermon that was contained in his 1963 Strength to Love collection, has said this about what being a neighbor looks like. The good neighbor looks beyond external accidents and discerns those inner qualities that make all men human and therefore brothers, and I would add sisters, looks beyond external accidents. What an interesting and perhaps profound choice of words. As I was thinking over his message this week and, and what those words actually meant, it made me realize and hopefully will make you realize that each and every one of our individual existences is made up of many external accidents. None of us, for example, chose where we were born, be it neighborhood or nation. None of us chose our parents who we were born to. None of us have chosen our parents or our nation's religion, creed, atheism, or agnosticism. We don't get to choose our skin color, our eye color, our hair color, our height or lack thereof, and we don't I like that Pastor Emily is here. If we stood next to her, we're the same height. It's great. Um, we don't get to choose our native language either that we're born into. Now, some of you might argue that none of these are accidents because God, after all, is all-knowing. And God has had a hand in knitting each and every one of us together. And I would agree with that. But the external world into which we are all born is a fallen world. It's a world full of men and women who have created institutions and creeds and divisions and nations that very often perhaps do not reflect God's greatest desire for humankind. So in that respect, external accidents seems like a rather generous phrase to me. 
But the main point in Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's quote is that it is not an accident at all that every single person we will ever encounter is first and foremost a brother and sister created in the image of God. It's not an accident that every person we will ever encounter has been created out of love and designed to love God in return and to love one another and to live interdependently in radical, altruistic, and inclusive ways. These internal drivers are what make us human beings image bearers and what make us distinctly different from other aspects of creation. Now, last Sunday, Pastor Emily kicked off our neighboring series by recounting the familiar parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, in this story, Jesus seems to go out of his way to remind his listeners and to remind us that neither religion nor status nor any external accident are what determine our neighborly status or another's neighborly status or worth for that matter. The neighbor in the parable was simply the one who showed mercy. Simple, but not easy. Simple is rarely easy, actually. Jesus was reminding us in this parable that that loving outside of one's religion or creed or belief system is often risky and very costly. It was so dangerous, in fact, that that the quote-unquote good people in society, the priests, the Levites, the religious experts, the keepers of the law, didn't even bother trying to be a neighbor. Didn't even bother trying to show mercy. The interesting thing about that parable to me is that we can and probably have read it a thousand times. And that we probably have watered it down a thousand times as well. And that we probably very often consistently miss the radical nature of discipleship that Jesus is inviting us into. Pastor Emily reminded us last week that that wasn't a parable about changing tires for someone on the side of the road or running errands for a friend in need, though those acts are kind and generous and compassionate and very good acts. Rather, it's a story about radical hospitality and, to use Martin Luther King's words, dangerous altruism. That is the costly discipleship. That's precisely the costly discipleship that Jesus is inviting each and every one of us into when he says, follow me. Follow me. Now, in today's passage that we heard Andy read a few minutes ago, we're introduced to another unlikely character. Levi, who is in, in the passage is referred to as a tax collector, is, was probably more than likely something known as a toll collector. Different from tax collectors, toll collectors were wealthy outsiders, meaning they didn't live in the places where they were doing work and business, but they often colluded with the Roman Empire. And the nature of Levi's work would have lent itself to abuse and corruption. And the local population would have been very much aware of this abuse and corruption because it probably impacted them relationally and financially. 
And it made me think to a time years ago when, when our family was in the adoption process and we had several friends who were adopting or attempting to adopt from Russia. Now, if you're familiar at all with the international adoption process or processes, you know that it can be quite complex at times, to put it lightly. There are layers upon layers of government bureaucracy at the local level, regional, federal level, or national level on both sides. And this process can stall and often does or come to a halt at any given time. In Russia, however, there was an added layer of off-the-records corruption that would often take place. Knowing that families had often spent years and tens of thousands of dollars on legal expenses and adoption fees and home study fees and simply were in this final stretch and they wanting to bring their kids home, knowing that that is where families were in that vulnerable state, oftentimes taxi drivers or hospitality workers or airport workers would take advantage of families that were emotionally and financially exhausted and demand bribes from them to get to the airport. They just want to get home at this point. And then they would get to the airport and the ticket counter worker would demand payment of some unknown amount. If you want to get your boarding pass, this is what it will, this is what it will be. Of course, over and above what the ticket was and all the other fees. And so when I was reading this passage this week, it, it resonated with me. Levi, the character in our story, was likely similar to that ticket counter worker at the airport, refusing to let a tired, exhausted, and depleted family pass by until they paid whatever it was that, that he demanded. And so it's no wonder to me that the Pharisees and the scribes and whoever would be listening to this story question Jesus' judgment for associating with Levi and other toll collectors. What does make me pause, however, is that Levi, this supposedly horribly corrupt man who took advantage of everyday people, and he did, and was likely living a lavish lifestyle off of their backs, what made me pause was that he is the character in the story who, quote, got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. What does make me pause when reading this is how the story doesn't actually center on Levi's corruption or his misdeeds, but on his willingness to leave everything behind, follow Jesus, and then throw this massive banquet. It's like he knows he won something, perhaps. And it makes me pause, not because I think that this is unbelievable for a person to hear Jesus' invitation and to follow so radically, makes me pause because the religious people in this story and in other stories throughout Scripture seem to consistently miss the mark on the radical nature of discipleship, on the radical call and invitation that Jesus extends and invites us to long for. However, the unlikely characters, the misfits, the marginalized, the outcasts, the sinners, the toll collectors, whatever, you name it, the the unlikely characters seem to have a heart that is more finely tuned to this invitation. They they are able to discern why it's worth following and that it's worth their very life. The religious folks, the legalists, the do-gooders are so often so busy trying to follow their own rules that they set up their systems They're so busy trying to, uh, to use theological terms, justify themselves 
and separate themselves from their quote-unquote sinner neighbors that they often miss where Jesus positions himself in the stories and what the good news actually is. So when I hear Jesus offer up the great commandments to love the Lord our God with our entire soul, mind, heart, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, I try to ask myself every time, and I invite you to do the same thing, where is Jesus positioned in this story? Why is he there? What does it mean to be a neighbor and to show mercy? What does it mean to show mercy to our actual real-life flesh-and-blood neighbors? Last week, Pastor Emily showed you a grid that looks something like this that represents you somewhere on here and your actual real-life flesh-and-blood neighbors. Whether you live in a subdivision or in a more rural area or perhaps in the city, chances are you have actual neighbors. And so we are exploring in this series what does it mean to actively love the people who have been placed in and around us. Neighbors, perhaps, that resemble the despised but ultimately good Samaritan. Neighbors, perhaps, who resemble Levi, who are corrupt, maybe gaming a system or taking advantage of people. Neighbors that remember the Pharisees, the keepers of the law that that resemble the Pharisees. Neighbors that resemble pastors or committee members. Christian neighbors, atheist neighbors, agnostic neighbors, neighbors who practice a different faith, our Hindu neighbors, our Buddhist neighbors, our Muslim neighbors, humanists, secularists, our progressive neighbors, our conservative neighbors, our school board members, our neighbors who attend school board meetings, our teacher neighbors, our criminal neighbors, and our conspiracy theory-loving neighbors. What does it mean to love and to show mercy to our neighbors? Practically speaking, I would imagine that each and every one of us have neighbors that believe differently than, than you do in some way, that look differently than you do, that practice a different faith, that might believe different things about God. What does our faith say to us, practically speaking? How do we put flesh and blood on it so that it doesn't remain up here or just in here, but that through the Spirit's help and guidance, we're given hands and feet to move that good news out into our neighborhoods? What does it look like? And also, what are the things that often hold us back from doing this? I think that when, when we're called to love our neighbors, one of the questions I believe God is asking us is to consider how we're using our, our time. What is it? What do your calendars look like? What does your schedule look like? What does your day look like? Time, I personally believe, is our most valuable currency. And how we spend it matters. How are you spending your time? Every other resource that we have, our money, our, our, our homes even, um, any assets that we hold, our relationships, we are able to grow them. They're able to be appreciated, to, get, to gain in value. But time doesn't work like that. Once it's gone, it's gone. So I think God is inviting us to, to look and to see and to ask questions about where our time is going. 
how are we using it? Does it allow for us to love our neighbor? Does it reflect God's greatest commandments? John Orberg has once said, once said that love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is the one thing that hurried people do not have. And that made me think about our pre-COVID existence. And I'm hoping that many of us have found healthier rhythms. But prior to COVID, a lot of us were living a frenetic pace. We were commuting and working and commuting some more and working some more and trying to get to this meeting or that program or this group or, or Bible study or whatever. We were living at a frenetic pace and trying to actually squeeze real life and real relationship and real people into a diminishing space, and it felt crunched. How can we use our time to reflect God's desires for us to know and to love our neighbors? I think fear is another factor that comes into play when we get into the practical mess of discipleship. We're scared, aren't we, about how we're going to be perceived or received. What does it look like to talk to your neighbors about real things that really matter to you? Not just niceties and highs and buys, but life, real life, messy stuff. The people closest to you, it's kind of scary, isn't it? You'd rather just go in, smile, pretend everything's okay, and not get into it. We're scared. But we are for micro-communities at Ebenezer. We're for fresh expressions. We're for organic expressions of church in real-life communities. And in standing up this new campus, a network um, of these micro-communities, one of our guiding scriptures is 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 reminds us that there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. That's what happened actually on the cross. Perfect love has cast out fear, invites us to accept it, that love is greater than fear. And in fact, love and fear, just like love and hurry, they're fundamentally incompatible. One will eventually win out over the long run. And so I invite you to consider, is it love or is fear guiding you when it comes to loving your actual neighbors? And if it's fear, how can we invite God into the mix to show us, practically speaking, what does it mean to love a neighbor who might be different from us? I think we're scared that we don't have all the answers, that we need to have the Bible memorized. But I believe wholeheartedly that God is already in those spaces. And when we step in authentically and are able to see the image of God on the person next to us, that God is already there and will be helping us in that relationship. We don't have to have the right words or even the right theology. Sometimes we just need to be present or prayerful and trust that God is already there. These micro-communities that we're standing up is exactly what this book is talking about. It takes the practices in here and it gives them feet and legs and hands and hearts and everything in between to allow us to walk this out and make it become a reality. And it is becoming a reality in our neighborhood. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we have some pictures. We were able to celebrate several baptisms at one of our micro-communities in Fresh Expressions. Stan and Linda Duvall open up their property down on Gowersonville Road. It's a wonderful property. It's welcoming. They're hospitable. And we gathered out there. We had a small memorial service for the 11, for the 13 fallen uh, Marines and sailors. 
And then we were able to gather up and celebrate baptism together, renew our baptismal vows, be reminded of what this commitment is like. We were able to share in communion. And then we were able to simply enjoy a time of our worship, song and music and fellowship. Spending time together, kids were in the pool, enjoying food. This is church. Being out there is no more or less holy than being in here. God is there. God is here. We're trying to put flesh on the gospel and take it out into where people are already doing life in non-threatening spaces, trusting that God is in the mix. And I want to close today with an invitation. One of the ways we're seeking to grow this network of micro-churches and and, uh, fresh expressions is by standing up dinner churches this fall. We'd love to stand up a couple of dinner churches in, in and around Stafford in Northern Virginia. Just like our passage today, Levi threw Jesus' big banquet. We see passages throughout scripture of people gathering around tables. Jesus is often around a table, breaking bread and sharing life. So I'd like to extend the invitation if, who likes to eat? Anyone? Who doesn't? If maybe this is something that you could see yourself doing, we'd love to stand up a few of these in the area. People commit it to meeting once a week around a table. doesn't have to be an elaborate meal. doesn't even have to be in the same space every week. If dinner isn't your thing and you'd rather do breakfast, then we can do that as well. The idea is to gather people regularly around a table, sharing a meal, sharing prayers, sharing life, and we will provide any additional resources that you might need if you'd like more of a liturgical feel or more of a conversational feel or you need prayers or scripture, we can help provide that for you. But we want the gospel to be out in the neighborhoods, around tables, with real people sharing real life. Because God is already there. We are for God. We are for God's commandments. We are for believing in God's purposes. We are for our neighbors We are for you. God is for you. We are for the church. We are for putting flesh and blood on the Gospels. And we are for believing that the good news of Jesus Christ is a gift that every person we encounter desperately needs because it's the gift that leads to life and freedom and the understanding of who we have been created to be in God's image.